0: Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we come to this special occasion with great thanksgiving, and also with a profound sense of the responsibility that you place, not only upon the men that you call into pastoral ministry, but also the congregations that take vows like this congregation has today. O oh Lord, who is sufficient for these things? Help us to see that our confidence is through Christ in you. And with that confidence, O God, may we press forward together in the pilgrimage that you have called us to. We pray all of these things in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Have you ever given any thought to what a pastor does? Have you ever given any thought to what a pastor does? Here's one description I read this week from an author that many of you know. Pastoral ministry is the most wide-ranging, challenging vocation known to mortals. The ideal pastor would have the rhetorical panache of Churchill, the compassion of Mother Teresa, the tenacity and courage of a Navy SEAL, the intellect of a lawyer, the patience of Job, the vision of Ezekiel, the creativity of an entrepreneur, the management skill of a CEO, and the magnetic energy of a rock star. They must be exemplary in their devotion to Jesus, and they must be everywhere, for everything, for everyone. To borrow the question that Paul asks in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, the title of today's sermon, Who is Sufficient?, for these things the answer not unsurprisingly is that no one can do this 90% of pastors report that actually being in ministry they see that what they expected was totally different than what they found 80% believe that ministry has negatively impacted their families Seventy percent of pastors do not have somebody in their life that they consider to be a close friend. Fifty-seven percent feel discouraged, stressed, and fatigued. Forty-two percent seriously considered leaving the ministry in the last year. And only one out of ten, ten percent of those ordained as pastors will actually retire as a pastor. Maybe part of the problem of pastoral burnout is that pastors and congregations alike have believed the job description and forgotten the calling. In verse 6, Paul says that God has made him and other pastors sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant. And so this morning on the occasion of of Danny and John's installation as associate pastors here at Redeemer, I want us to ask, well, what does it mean for these men to be ministers of the new covenant? What is the purpose of that ministry? And then secondly, in light of all of the statistics that are so sobering, can they draw on? What is the purpose of their New Covenant ministry? And where is the power? How are any of us sufficient for these things? So let's look first at the purpose of New Covenant ministry. I think our text this morning gives us two very closely related characteristics or tasks of a new covenant minister that help us see the purpose of pastoral ministry. The first is a very interesting word picture that Paul paints for us here in verse three. He writes, you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us. Good pastors are postmen. Good pastors are couriers. Paul and the other pastors that he helps oversee, that even he may be writing to in this letter to the church in Corinth, they are delivering the power of Jesus to congregations. And these congregations are being written on as if they were paper and the Holy Spirit was ink. They are being written on by Christ. And part of what that means is that Jesus is the power of Paul's ministry. This is what he gets at in verse 1 where he says, do we have to commend ourselves to you again? He's been under attack by this church that he had loved, that he had shepherded, that he had planted. And now his very credentials are being called into question because other What he calls super apostles later in the book have taken charge of the church and they're beginning to denigrate the apostle Paul. Now, Paul could go to the the church in Corinth and begin to plead his case by pointing to all of the good things that have happened through his ministry, to the growth of the church, to the transformation that has occurred in the life of the people, but he doesn't point to himself. He says, I'm just the postman. I'm just the courier. I'm just the deliverer of a power that belongs to Jesus. It's not my character that's being imprinted on you, it's Christ's character. It's not my power that's being made evident among you, it's Christ's power. Regeneration, being born again, sanctification, growing in Christlikeness, those are not the powers that belong to a minister, they belong to Jesus. Paul and the pastors of the churches that followed him are simply servants of Christ that bring the goods to the church over and over and over. And through that simple But faithful work, God transforms the people in the church so that their hearts are changed. In this passage, there is an explicit contrast between the new covenant and the old covenant. Between the law and the gospel. The law, Paul says, is written on tablets of stones. And that means that it it stands apart from the people. And as Israel learned the hard way, the law has no power to transform someone from the inside out. Indeed, the law's ultimate purpose is that it can only accuse the people who have the law. But Paul says that as a new covenant minister... As he does his work, the Spirit of God actually begins to fulfill in the people of God the promise of the new covenant. And when you hear this language of new covenant and old covenant, don't simply think of New Testament and Old Testament. Because the new covenant promises that God would transform his people from the inside out, we read those in the Old Testament. We read those in the prophet Jeremiah and in the prophet Ezekiel about people's hearts being changed, about the Spirit being alive in us, enabling us to serve God and to serve our neighbor. And all of this is Christ's work. And pastors are the tools that God uses to accomplish it. So the first characteristic of a New Covenant ministry is that pastors are postmen. Pastors are couriers. They're bringing the power of Jesus to bear on the people of God. The second characteristic that I want you to see from 2 Corinthians here is that pastors are agents of life. Pastors are agents of life. Look at the end of verse 6. Paul says, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Again, this is more of this contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, between the law and the Gospel. The Mosaic Law was, as Paul will go on to say in verse 7, which is not printed for you, but if you have your Bibles, you can look at it, Paul will go on to say that the Mosaic Covenant was a ministry of death carved in stone. And yet, he has been ordained to preach the promises of the gospel. And that promise of the gospel actually brings new life to the people that God has called him to minister to. How does it do that? Christ, he will say, Paul will say in the book of Galatians, Christ was born under the law to redeem us from the law. And as our pastors placard Christ, as they put Jesus Christ crucified for us up on the billboards of our lives, This is another illustration that Paul uses in the letter to Galatians. As they do that, they become agents of life. You see, because Christ has freed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, life with God, peace with God, they now belong to us. How many of us act that way? How many of us actually go through our life believing that, trusting that, and acting in accordance to that? Because the Son of God was crucified for us in our place, we, his enemies, have been called the children of God. Is that how you think of yourself? Do you wake up every morning thinking, you know, I am the child of the King? When you find yourself on the other side of a season of sin, do you think of yourself as a child of God, as a co-inheritor with Jesus Christ of the heavenly inheritance that he earned for you? I don't. I need a voice from outside of me to tell me that news. And that's what pastors are. But by speaking those words, they're not merely giving you information. Those words actually transform us. God actually has joined His promise to those words so that when you hear them by faith, you are changed. New life is given to you. Danny and John, as pastors, you must never tire of that message because it is the source of our life. Now, Redeemer, you have called these men to be your pastors, but you will get tired of that message. You're going to get tired of hearing the gospel proclaimed to you again and again. You're going to want something new. You're going to want something exciting. You're going to wonder if the gospel is still relevant in our rapidly changing society. And in some of your more honest moments, you're going to look interior and you're going to ask or you're going to begin to doubt the gospel's power in your own life. I know this because even though I'm one of your pastors, I am sometimes tempted in the same way. But these men are not authorized to speak a different word than the one that is given to them when they were set apart to be ministers of the new covenant. They don't get to come up with their own message. And honestly, when we do, that's when we have difficulty defending ourselves to you. The time where people have pressed into me and said, Eric, Where'd you get that message? Sometimes I have to double check myself and say, is that something that came from me? Or is this the word that I was authorized to speak to this congregation? You don't want them to speak a different word. You don't want them to speak a different word because only God's word has the power to bring life. Only God's word always does what it says. So heed the new covenant words from these men. When they stand before you and with smiles on their face and their hand raised as a spokesperson of Jesus Christ and they pronounce to you the absolution of your sins, believe it. Because your sins really are forgiven. When they sit next to you or a loved one, sick, dying, and with comfort share the promises of God, the God who raises the dead, you really do then have hope and confidence in the face of our last great enemy. And when they preach God's word, which is like a two-edged sword, you can believe that a miracle is taking place in our midst. Because men and women, boys and girls, are being born again. They are being regenerated. They are being sanctified. The author Fleming Rutledge says the disappointment, brokenness, suffering, and pain that characterizes life in this present world is held in dynamic tension with the promise of a future glory that is yet to come. Danny and John are ministers of that future glory. And through their words and through their work, God speaks and God assures us of the truthfulness of his promise. That's what a minister of the new covenant does. That's the the purpose. Where's the power? How is this actually going to take place among us? John and Danny, you guys have many gifts many skills, many talents. Both of you in your own way have larger than life personalities. And there is a great temptation in all of our ministries to either be impressed by our gifts or to be frustrated by what we lack. But God did not call us into ministry so that he could avail himself of our gifts Paul says that we have been made sufficient to conduct this ministry of life. How were you made sufficient? It began with your being born again, with being regenerated by the Spirit of God. John was nurtured in a Christian home. Danny was brought to Christ as a teenager. And then you were called. What started as a simple desire to love Jesus, to serve his church, it blossomed eventually into education and training and evaluation. And so when a church calls you as a pastor, they are recognizing and affirming in a public and corporate way what you desire in your own hearts. But your sufficiency doesn't come from your calling. It doesn't come from your education. It doesn't come from your experience or your desire. Your confidence is through Christ toward God. In his first letter to this church, the Apostle Paul reminded them that it was the grace of Jesus that made him who he was. And that same grace makes pastors that follow Paul sufficient. So Danny and John, don't ever forget it yourself. Because the moment you do, you will be a danger to to the church, not its servant. And guys, don't ever let us forget it either. Because the same confidence that you have must also be our confidence. So, in your ministry, take our eyes off of you and take our eyes off of ourselves and fix them again and again and again on Jesus who is the author and the finisher of our faith, who is the one who will complete the good work that He has already started among us, who is the one who will sanctify us completely, who is the one who will equip us with every good thing, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, who is the one who is able to present us blameless before His glory with great joy. That's your calling. That's the power that Christ has entrusted to you for our good, for your good, and for his glory. Let's pray. Father, left to ourselves, we would be so inward looking curved in on ourselves that we would never be able to see the work of God in the world we would ever never be able to see the work of God in ourselves we would never be able to hear the promise father we often like children run away from you fingers plugged up in our ears, screaming at the top of our lungs. Catch us. Speak to us. Give us a word of life that comes from outside of us so that our confidence toward you can also be through your son. Well, Father, give us life and use these men to speak those words of life to us, to sustain us, to grow us, to strengthen us today and for the rest of our lives. We pray all of this in Christ's name, amen.